All right, you can have a seat. My name's Dan Jarvis, one of the pastors here. I'm really glad you joined us this Sunday. You picked a great Sunday to visit. This is your first day. Um, not because we're at the beginning of a new series, Basic Christianity. We've been in this for a few weeks. But today is like the most exciting part of the whole thing because we're talking about Jesus being alive, Jesus rising from the dead, giving all of us a path forward, not just through life, but after life. Uh, beyond this life into eternal life. So we're really excited, obviously, to talk about that. Sometimes, in fact, I was, I was telling one of my sons about this, and he said something about like Easter. He was getting all jazzed up. I said, no, it's not even Easter. We're talking about it anyway. So um, we'll talk about it again on Easter coming up in a few months. But uh, today we're going to look at why Jesus' resurrection matters for you and for me. Uh, not so much going through the story of the empty tomb as much as going into some of the logic of like, why is this even important? Now, in our, in our study of basic Christianity, we started with the claims of Jesus a few weeks ago. Jesus made some bold, amazing, you know, potentially crazy claims about himself. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. And anybody who claims something like that, you would say, well, either... They are what they say they are, or more probably, they're crazy, right? So we looked at Jesus' claims and realized when you encounter the claims of Christ, you have to make a decision. Do you trust him or not? Last week, we talked about Jesus' character, how he is set apart from every other figure in history. I mean, you could take great moral teachers and powerful political leaders and some of the best characters in history and categorize them, but Jesus would still have to be in a category of his own. He's different from anyone else we've ever encountered. Not only was he fully God, but he was also completely a human being. So last week we looked at the fact that Jesus was, he was the exact representation of God. So if you said, what, what is God like? You should look at Jesus. But also, what is a human like? You should look at Jesus. The kind of humanity that you and I have experienced so far in our lives is not the fullest kind. It's not the intended kind. We're living a life of humanity marred by sin. Jesus came and showed us the way it was supposed to be, the kind of life we're supposed to live. So we, we follow Jesus in this lifetime, recognizing he's the model human to follow but we also follow Jesus out of this world and into the next. That's what we'll learn about today. We don't just follow him in lifestyle, we also follow him into resurrection. So we're going to walk this through in a few different ways. We talked about the audacious claims of Jesus, the character of Jesus. And at that point, he had amassed a lot of followers. We might call them fair-weather disciples. People that were pretty excited. After all, Jesus is giving free lunches feeding the 5,000, he's calming storms, he's healing the sick, the lame are walking. So of course you follow that guy. But then he would start to teach about what was really involved in following him, and people would say, hold on a second. I'll take the lunch, but I don't know if I want to stay for the seminar. I mean, that's not exactly what I signed up for. It's a little more than I thought it would be, a little higher level of commitment. And so there is a verse, which you see on the screen. I always remember where this verse is because it's a terrible verse. It's like, a, it's like one of the worst Bible verses in the New Testament. John 6, 66. Okay, so you can turn there and look with me at chapter 6, verse 66, and you'll see why it's, it's terrible, what happens in this verse. 
All these people following Jesus, the crowds all excited to hear Sermon on the Mount, good stuff. Then Jesus says, hey, by the way, I am the bread of life. I've come down from heaven. You're going to have to walk with me. And people start saying, I don't know if I want that. It starts to get a little complicated. And look at verse 66. At that point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter said, Hey, no matter how hard it gets from here, I've seen enough. I've seen the miracles. I know your teaching. I've been hanging around with you, Jesus, and I know and we know you have the words of eternal life. You are who you claim to be. Even if everybody else leaves, we're staying. Which is an impressive statement of commitment, right? I mean, the crowd, like if, if Peter, James, and John, the other disciples, if they were interested in being popular, what were all the popular people doing? They were leaving. Saying, we're done with this. We're on to the next thing. Peter, James, and John realized Jesus is who he claimed to be. So they're saying, hey, our, we're with you no matter where this goes from here. I wonder if I was a disciple at that time, what side of that fence I would have been on. I mean, wouldn't all of us have been really interested? When he multiplied the loaves and fishes, would you not have, I don't know, been pretty excited? <laughs> and, and when he would say things about love and purpose and truth, would you not have thought, you know, this is what we've needed? But now all of a sudden, he's claiming more than just that. Would you have been the kind that would say, I think I've, I think I've heard enough, I'm out? Or would you say, no, I have heard enough, that's why I'm in? So I have a curiosity question for you here. If you were there in that moment, what questions would you have wanted to ask Jesus? So imagine that, you know, the people start leaving, and you're there, and you're trying to make this decision, do I stay or do I go? What would you want to know from Jesus at this moment to determine whether you stay or go? Like, what would still be in your mind, in your, in your heart? I was thinking about how, for me, I feel like, I, I feel like there wouldn't have been very many more questions I could ask. Because I could say, Jesus, could you just do one more miracle, just, just to prove it for sure? I, no, there's already been a lot of miracles. Okay, Jesus, could you just go through one more time sort of your blueprint for how things are supposed to go? Ah, well, we've been through that many times before, too. Jesus, could you just um, sit down with me? Could I just look at you for a minute and just try to decide? No, we've, there's been lots of time. At this moment, there's a bridge that people have to cross, the bridge of faith. It's a choice. I mean, you can, amount, you can amass evidence to inform your faith choice, but it's still a choice. There's a moment when you have to step out and say, I choose to believe in Jesus. I've seen enough, now I choose to believe. Peter and the other disciples were willing to make that choice, to cross that bridge. A whole bunch of other people weren't. Now, when Jesus, when, when Peter says, why, why are we following him? You know, he, he says, it's you have the words of eternal life. 
And that's really the crux of it. If Jesus doesn't have the words of eternal life, there's no real reason to keep listening if things get hard. Because you just go to the next person that'll make you feel good and give you a free lunch. But if Jesus has the words of eternal life, then no matter what happens in this life or your situation, it would be worth sticking with Jesus. So, uh, how many of you enjoyed math class as, let's just say, junior high, high school? I see, I see a few hands. Okay, how many of you did the opposite of enjoy math class? Okay. Um, one of the quintessential aspects of math class that we all hated the most was show your work. Right? I mean, I know the answer. Why do I have to show my work? So I was thinking about what Peter said here. You have the words of eternal life, Jesus. That's the answer, right? Service is closed, let's go have lunch. The problem is we need to show the work on that a little bit. Why why does Jesus have the words of eternal life versus a bunch of other great words? So we're going to show some work today. Now I'm going to warn you ahead of time. I'll remind you when we get there. There's going to be a point when we're reading the Bible today when in your mind you'll check out, because we'll be showing so much work that you'll just think, I already know this, I'm moving on, and your, your brain will be on to what flavor soup you're going to have in a little while. That's fine, but I'm just going to remind you if you, you know, just like maybe your junior high math teacher would have, like if you really want to understand what's happening here, if you want to get it right, you have to pay attention to the steps that get us there, all right? So let's, let's walk it through why Jesus has the words of eternal life, and we're going to start with a very familiar Bible verse, Romans 6.23. A lot of us memorize this verse in Sunday school or Awana. Um, if you've ever shared your faith with someone, this is a great verse to have memorized so you can just kind of whip it out and say, here's a summary of what this is all about. So I'm expecting that you, some of you at least, might know what the blanks are. The wages of sin is what? Death, okay? The gift of God is? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we look at that, which is an amazing promise, because here are the wages of sin. Like if you get what you deserve as a human being, what, what do you deserve? Death. Okay? If you sin, you break God's law, the penalty is death. There it is. Pretty simple. Cut and dry. But God interrupts that reality with a gift. He says, ah, there's a different way. It doesn't have to end there. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So why does Jesus Christ our Lord have anything to do with your eternal life? How is this gift actually made possible? And I would contend it's because of Jesus' astonishing resurrection. That when Jesus rose from the dead, all of his claims were validated. Everything people suspected about him fulfilling prophecy, that was all validated. But his claim to have come down from heaven and now be able to lead you to heaven was also validated. He didn't just defeat death to make a statement about death. He defeated death to pave the way for you to defeat death. You get to rise again as well if it's true that Jesus rose again. That's why this matters so much. That's why it's really the the whole deal in Christianity, right? So in our book this this week, I would encourage you to read chapter 4. John Stott does a great job of laying out some of the evidences of how we know that the resurrection story in the Bible is an accurate story. 
that that really did happen in time and space. It's not just inspirational reading, it's actually concrete. Jesus was in the tomb, he got out of the tomb, everything was different from there. The resurrection of Jesus is the center point of Christian doctrine. And here's what Paul wrote about that. He said, if Christ has not been raised, all our preaching's useless and your faith is useless. All right, turn to your neighbor and say your faith is useless. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Right, all right, so your faith is useless if Jesus didn't rise from the dead because you're putting your faith in just another person who is dead. And how can they help you? But if Jesus is alive, not only can he help you, but he's given you the ticket out of this mess we're in, the mess that Adam and Eve signed us up for when they took the forbidden fruit, the mess that you confirm that you're a part of every time you choose against God and you sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're going to do our think-through portion today. I'd like you to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is a part of the showing of the work here. 1 Corinthians 15 is when the Apostle Paul is talking to some people who are starting to question the resurrection. They're saying, you know, the resurrection, it is awfully crazy to believe that. So what if we just modify? Like what if we just sort of say Jesus spiritually rose from the dead or he lives in your heart and in your memories? Or what if, is there any way we could make it not so much of a miracle? That way more people could believe in it. And the Apostle Paul says, no, that's not going to work. Because everything we believe is actually predicated on Jesus rising from the dead. If you take that piece away, the rest of the faith doesn't make any sense at all. So let's start in verse 1. He says, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. That would be bad news for any of us, right? You live your whole life really believing in Jesus, and you get to the end and you realize none of this was true in the first place. So let's go back to the beginning and say, is it true in the first place that Jesus is alive? So the Apostle Paul offers us an argument to evidence that. Verse 3, I passed on to you what was the most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. But Paul's writing and saying, if you want to check this out, there are multiple eyewitnesses of Jesus being alive. And it wasn't just like one eyewitness said, oh, I saw a vision, I had a dream, and some sort of hallucination. No, you've got many people, hundreds of people, in groups together, seeing Jesus alive. So that's powerful evidence that he's alive. He goes on. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. So Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, and Paul became a Christian after he had been a persecutor. So Paul says, even I, like I have this eyewitness experience. I've seen him. So 
So there was no need for like the book on apologetics for Paul, you know, six proves why Jesus is risen from the dead. No, because I saw him. He was right there and all these other people saw him. So now go down to verse 30. He says, why should we risk ourselves, or why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear to your brothers and sisters, I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Jesus Christ our Lord has done in you. What value is there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if there will be no resurrection from the dead? Like Paul's saying, hey, I am literally on the hot seat here. Like I am risking everything for this truth, this gospel, this good news. Why would I do that if it wasn't actually real? says, and if there's no resurrection, then, quote, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. If you run with the friends who don't take life seriously, they don't believe in eternity, they don't think about Jesus, then you know, you'll, you'll track right with them. So he says, don't, don't fall into that. Don't let yourself be corrupted. Verse 34, think carefully about what is right and stop sinning, for to your shame I say that some of you don't know God at all. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of bodies will they have? Now, flashing warning sign, we're in the part of the long division problem when you don't really want to pay attention. But you do want to pay attention to this because this is actually about you. Okay? So just think about this for a second. This will violate the, you know, if you get into advertising or promotion, you know, you, you can't really make a video more than 90 seconds long. People check out and click to another video, right? Unless it's super interesting. So this is going to violate that. This is going to take a little longer than 90 seconds. But I want you to zoom in and think about this because this pertains not just to Jesus rising from the dead, but your hope of getting out of the body you're in and into your eternal body is right here. So look at your body right now. Those of you who are older, and I would say I'm starting to get there. You're kind of glad this isn't it. You're glad there's another one, right? So here, let's learn about it. Um, someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put into the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it a new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there, will be different, there are different kinds of flesh, one for humans, one for animals, one for birds, one for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different than the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, the moon and the stars have another, even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Okay, we're going to tune in here. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, remember last week, Adam 2.0, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. 
What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes after. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man. Heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I'm saying, dear brothers, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal, mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's, what, here's why Jesus can give you eternal life. Because Jesus defeated death, he walked the road forward for us, in front of us, the same road you have to walk. His old self died, he was raised to new life. Somehow, mysteriously, that's physically his body that did die, but now glorified, somehow upgraded, somehow, um, somehow converted into a heavenly body instead of just an earthly body. And Jesus says, you get to follow me in that direction. Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the scriptures say it's, he was to be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's you and me. God is building his family. He was building it with Adam and Eve. They fell. They faced the consequence of sin, separation from God, death. Jesus steps back into history to say, no, I don't want the story to end there. So I'll take the penalty of death for you. I'll die for your sins so that justice is still done. We're not ignoring sin. We're covering, we're paying the price for it. The, the, the debt to justice is paid. Now when I walk forward into eternity, you can follow me. You can be raised to new life just like I was raised to new life. So if you know that about Jesus and he says something difficult and you think, oh, all the popular people are leaving, maybe well, should I leave too? You'd say, no, why would I leave? You have the words of eternal life. You are the path. There isn't another way that I would rather go than to follow you. Last week we said that becoming like Jesus is your destiny. Now when we were talking about it, we were talking about the walk of Jesus, right? The character of Jesus, the lifestyle. But it's not just that. You're to follow Jesus, that's part of your destiny because that's, that's how you connect to God. That's how you end up in heaven. That's how you defeat death, is to follow Jesus on the same road that he took. So, I wanted to read to you um, from Romans 8 about God's plan for all of us, for you, just to see how it is that Jesus has made all this possible. So, for God knew his people in advance. He chose, or destined, them to become like his son, 
so that his son would become the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So when it says that in the first sentence, is it just talking about Jesus, us following Jesus in our character, like to become humble and loving? I mean, it is that. God wants us to be like Jesus in those ways. But there's more, right? We're, he's the firstborn in this eternal family that you're being invited to be a part of. So God saw this plan in advance. He destined you to be a part of it. He wants you to be like Jesus. Having chosen them, he called them to come to him. Having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. He made them right. He justified them. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. So the glory and power of God that we would all think of as in heaven, that actually is part of your future too. You're not separate from that, like you don't, you know, you're just going to watch it. No, you get to share the glory if you follow Jesus into eternity, if you rise again the way he did. So when you think of it this way, if you wanted to break that verse down, when you trust in Jesus, you're adopted or included as one of God's people. So that's, that's the on-ramp to all of this, right? You put your faith in Jesus, then you inherit a family story. Like you step into the family of God and now all of a sudden the family of God's story is your story. So you look back and you go, wow, God has always wanted this to happen. God knew ahead of time what he wanted to do. He planned for me to be a part of all of this. We're called to God's presence. We're made right with God in every way and we're going to share God's glory forever. So that's why we would say all of this is by God's grace and love toward us that it's possible. It's not like you could fix all this on your own. Say, I'm going to convert my body to a heavenly body, be right with God, I'll go handle it. No, there's no way to do that. We wouldn't even know where to start. Jesus has already made all of this happen. He has the words of eternal life. He's willing to give you the gift of eternal life if you're willing to put your faith in him. Now, all of this hinges, of course, on the resurrection of Jesus, because if you think about everything we've said, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, then what does any of this mean? Like, why are we even having this meeting? But if he did rise from the dead, it all matters. You matter. So, he is the first of many who will rise, advancing to the next level of existence. Well, there's, a, there's another level, right? I mean, it's not, we're not just Adam 1.0 of the earth. There's a whole other thing going on out there. And you get to advance to that through Jesus. So why would you ever, like those fair-weather disciples, say, oh man, you're, you're a little too hard to understand, or I don't, I don't like what you're saying, I'm going to turn and walk away. Why would you ever walk away? If this is the truth, this is your road forward, not just now in this life, but forever. Last week, we contrasted the Adam life versus the Jesus life. Remember this? And in many ways, I mean, every aspect of it is different. But if you think the Adam life, as we said last week, that, that goes to the cemetery. All, all, anything you can accomplish in this world, it still ends in the cemetery. But when you receive the gift of eternal life from Jesus, suddenly you're on an upward track and all of life starts to add up differently. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Something to consider, it's making it really personal. Have you received that gift? 
Or are you just sitting next to other people who have received that gift? Or watching other people live with the joy of that gift, but you yourself have continued to resist? The gift isn't something that you earn. It's not something that you have to get yourself ready for. Kind of like, you know, I'm going to go clean up before I take the gift. No, the gift is actually what transforms you. So you take the gift if it's offered to you, and here it is. Say, if, if you want to just do, if you want to work your best human life and get the wage you're due, I suppose that's your choice. The wages of sin is death. Or you could take the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you could say, somehow, in all the mystery, in all the truth of what we just read, somehow Jesus is willing to apply his resurrection power to me. And I can follow him in this life. I can follow him in physical death. And then I can follow him in resurrection. Would you like to receive that gift and walk that direction? So let's pray. Let's ask for God's help as we process that and um, continue to consider what Jesus wants us to do from here. So Lord, um, we, we recognize that you've outlined for us what it is that you want us to do. You came to this world. You announced the truth. You lived the truth in front of us. You died for our sins out of love for us. And then you rose again to conquer our greatest enemy, death itself, and to give us a different road forward, to give us hope and a future, a next step beyond this world. Lord, we recognize that because of your resurrection and because of what that proves, our lives have purpose and significance. We have eternity in front of us. So Lord, we know that there are people around us who, like in the city of Corinth, would be saying, ah, oh, there's, no, there's no truth to any of this. Let's eat and drink and be merry. Tomorrow we'll die anyway. We know that's really how our whole world is acting right now. But you've called us to something a lot more advanced a lot more exciting, a lot more future-oriented than that. So Lord, help us not to waste any more time in this life, recognizing that you've called us to the next life. I pray that each person in here would embrace their destiny, would put their whole faith in you, and would walk forward with the confidence of knowing you here and now and in the future. Thank you for life the great gift of it to begin with, and then the gift that you would graciously give us life again. In Jesus' name we pray.